instruct you of the safety of the airplane? Are, are you one of those people, or do you just ignore it? All right, all right. I am one of those people that almost 99% of the time, I'm pulling out that card, but even before they announce it, uh, first of all, I think it, it's, they're fascinating. Uh, they're fascinating pieces of art. This, uh, this like modern art of trying to instruct us to do something. And I, I, oftentimes, I just think they're comical uh, as well. But I, I also like the, when this, the, the flight attendants, I almost said stewardess, flight attendants, uh, when they, I also like them when they instruct us. I like to watch and, and evaluate the performance. I hate it when they put it on the TV, right? So this is just a fascinating part. I just make sure it's part of my ritual that I do that. But have you ever opened up one of those, right? And it, they don't ever actually announce this to you. This is not one of the things they announce. It's just in the card. So if you've never opened one of those cards, here's a little fact about it. If your plane is going to, from 35,000 feet, going to crash either on land or on water, the instruction is to put your head between your legs and to hold on. Now, first of all, I don't know if you realize how much room there is between uh, the first seat in front of you, unless you're in first class, but I'm not sure I could pull that maneuver off, right? <laughs> Even if there was enough leg room, it's still a tough maneuver. But then, at 35,000 feet, if we're going to hit a crash landing, I don't think my head between my legs is going to be what's the difference between whether life and death in that moment. I think whether we make impact is going to determine whether I live or die. So I th they're just trying to tell you, like, hey, we want you to make feel a little better and don't think about what's actually going to happen. You're going to burn in flames and fire and die as you crash or drown. Right? Because <laughs> we don't want to think about death, do we? Even when it's inevitable, we don't want to think about death when that plane is going to spiral down. We don't want to think about death. We want to think, I could survive this. I can make it. Or life insurance. Wait, have you ever uh, tried, someone tried to sell you life insurance or, or seen life insurance commercials on TV? This is, what, this is what they say. In case the unthinkable happens, here's what they mean. In case you die. Here's a little clue. I am going to die. You're going to die. And it's not really unthinkable. It's going to happen. We call things that are inevitable in this world unthinkable. Just think about that world in which we live in, something that will definitely happen. It is unthinkable. But there are things, things that may or may not happen. That's all we think about. Why would you refuse to think about what is certain? but instead spend your time worrying about the things that aren't. Why? Why couldn't you spend your time things on things that are certain that you know are going to happen instead of taking time worrying about things that may or may not happen? What certainties do you rely on in your day-to-day -day life? I mean, just think about some of the things that you just take for granted. This is going to happen. This is for sure. I know. This is who I am. This is how my day works. This is for certain. Think about all the things that we think are certainties in our life. Most of them are actually uncertainties. Most of them, they may or may not happen. I'll give you a case in point. Um, uh, some of you, uh, out for Christmas time, my, my brothers came out 
uh, to visit. One of them is actually a half-brother. I didn't meet that half-brother until I was in college. I didn't know about him. One day, my mom called up and said, I need to come up and see you. My mom only lived an hour and a half away from my college. So, okay, strange, come up. Probably free lunch out of this whole thing. Let's do this, right? So she comes up and she says, I don't want you to be mad. I don't want you to be upset. But uh, you have a half-brother. Now, I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. Fascinating. I, I, I love my half-brother. I wasn't mad at my mom. And it's something that happened. Uh, it was a kind of culture back then when she was, before she was married, she had a kid. And so they hid people away that did that. And they gave birth and they took the kid away. And she never got to hold him or know who she is. Closed adoption. And he found her. Right? Now, let me say, but that rocked my world. It wasn't because I was mad. Because this is what I knew about my life. I had a mother and a father and one brother. I mean, those were certainties in my life. I knew I was the youngest. Absolutely for sure, that was a certainty. And in that one moment, that changed. It was uncertainty. What I thought was a certainty wasn't a certainty anymore. And it took me a while to wrap my brain around that because what else in my life that I thought was a certainty is not certain. And the reality is the most things that we hold are uncertain. What is, what is certain is that we are going to die. So how do we live in the certainties and how do we live with the uncertainties of life? And there's two facts that Solomon is saying that are certainties in our life. The first thing he's saying is death is certain. But the timing of death, this is a certainty he's saying. The timing of your death is uncertain. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't get that information. But you will die is a certainty. How are we to live knowing that death is certain? Death is an inevitable but the timing of your death is uncertain, unknowable. Death is a certainty, Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 6. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. Right? One of the things that Solomon has been trying to say in this book is that he has, uh, the one who uh, has more knowledge than any person, who has more wisdom than any person, he has searched all wisdom and all foolishness, and he's come to this. This is kind of the transition of the book. Here is the summary of all knowledge. Man does not know. Man does not know. Whether he's wise or foolish, he does not know. All our deeds, all our actions, the future is uncertain. There is no logic in this world. There is no, if you do this, this will happen. We think it is. We act like it is all the time. You think about, uh, we have an industry of self-help books that tell you, this is how you live your life. If you do this, this will happen. Here's the reality of all that. That is not true. What's true is, that person did this, and this happened, and now they're selling it to you. It doesn't mean there's not a one-to-one -one correlation in this life. There's too many factors. There's too many things that just happen. We don't know. I, I like watching uh, the show Shark Tank, but those Shark Tank guys are so smug. Like, this is how business is done. You're, this is how businessmen get done. You just need to go out and do all this. That is not true. 
It just happened for them. And it may happen for some of those people that come on. But there's not a one-to-one -one correlation. You do this, and this will happen. It makes no sense under the sun in this lifetime. Verse 2, it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil that is done under the sun. The same event happens to them all. And what's that same event? Death. Good, righteous, those that are religious, those that are not religious, everyone dies. And what Solomon said, death is an evil in this world. And, and the way of death is an evil in the world in the sense that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair or equitable. And this is important. Under the sun, from our perspective of understanding how we view the world, it makes no sense why someone dies and someone else doesn't die. It doesn't make sense when a child dies. It doesn't make sense when our parents die. Some people get cancer, some die instantaneously, some don't even make it out of the womb, some live to a ripe old age. There is no rhyme or reason to it. And Solomon's saying, that is an evil from our perspective. And it's evil in the way. It makes no sense. From God's perspective, above the sun, he, there is a way and there's a plan and there's a purpose for it all. Man does not know. We don't understand it. And we know God has a plan and a purpose for all things. And then he goes on to say, Solomon, also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. All right, not just this, the, if death is evil, not just this, the way of death, the uncertainty of when it's going to happen is evil, but all of us, <coughs> our hearts are full of evil. And the madness is in their hearts why they live. And after they go to the dead, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. Now, this is an interesting phrase. But he who is yet joined with the living has hope. He just said, everyone is full of evil. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. That makes sense, right? A, a, a living, right? Dead things by their nature are dead, and they don't do anything. They're not very useful, except for growing mushrooms. <laughs> but, but, but he's saying, a live dog is more powerful than a dead lion, because dead things are worthless. And he says, listen, but those that are living were full of evil as well, too. And you really are just, are, are just dead. But those that are joined with the living have hope. For the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under sun. So the one thing says, look at your reward, all of our reward for our deeds is here under the sun. All your rewards. And one day you will die and you'll have no more rewards. And you get to not participate in any of these rewards that you've earned. 
And, and, and here's right, even more. Your legacy, who you are, your name, you will all be forgotten. Everyone. There's, there's a few in history that get remembered longer than others. But in the end, they will all be forgotten. I mean, it may, it may be 100 years, someone will know your name, but they won't know you. Everyone dies. But the living that are joined to living have hope. Solomon said, death is not an injustice upon you. Death is not an injustice. You die like everyone else because you're a sinner. Because that's really your reward. That's what you get. That's what you get from your sin, that all that you do, you deserve to die, and you will die. You and I are not victims of this evil. You and I are the perpetrators of this evil. You and I are the cause of our own death. And every time we see death, every time we mourn death, all of that should preach to us. It should preach to us and confirm to us the certain truth that we will die and we deserve to die. In fact, we are born to die. We are born in this cursed, broken, fallen world. We are not victims of this. We live under a sentence of death every moment. And here's the thing we said last week. Every moment that you live, Every moment that you breathe is a moment of grace. It's a moment of opportunity. It's a moment to repent. It's a moment to be joined to the living one. The one who is the author of all life. The one who controls death. Every moment that you breathe is an opportunity to repent. It is great grace. Being alive is an opportunity being dead is nothing. It is death. But are we joined to life? Are we in union with Christ? And that's the thing that happens on the cross, right? It's just not the forgiveness of sin, which is necessary. It's just not the, the giving of righteousness, which is necessary. We mean holy with God so we can be with God. But it's that we are joined in union, one. That's why it's described as marriage, that we're married to Christ, that we're one, the two become one. We are united with Christ. Therefore, we get to share in the blessings of being alive forever. Under the sun, the dead are forgotten. All we know is our life. Living is an opportunity, and it's an opportunity to die well, because we're all going to die. So your life is an opportunity to die well. And this is what scripture tells you what dying well is. Dying well is this. Laying up your treasures in heaven. Not in, not on this earth. Not, not saying, thinking that all your rewards are here. But thinking that your rewards are yet to come. Matthew 6, 19, 21. Jesus says this. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Or we could have said under the sun. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor thieves do break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Think about how he describes all the things under the sun. They're all potential things to be stolen, to die, to be burned away, to rust, to be corrupted. Why would, you, why would you lay up things in a place where all things eventually decay and go away? Where all things could be stolen? Why would you lay it? Why would you invest in treasures in a, in a bank that said, eh, we might be able to protect your things, but the reality is our safe is rotten already and the water is leaking in and there's, we have thieves coming all the time. Our security is not very good. That's what it is when you, when you lay up treasures on this earth. It's like uh, you're in Bank of America, which just wastes all your money. That's another side comment on <laughs> Bank of America. <laughs> Living well means laying up your treasures. Uh, dying well means laying up your treasures as well. Living well, living well means we live life prepared to die. We live life not holding on to things of this world because they are vanity. Because they're temporal. That's not meaning. Vanity does not mean this. They are temporal. They are uncertain. We ha have, we live life not with our hands closed around our possessions, but we live life with our hands open to our possessions, realizing all the things in this world are gifts. All the things are not something that we acquire. They're gifts from God. And all of them are meant to be held carefully because they could be given and taken away. Because they're meant to be used to bless others in this world as well. The thing that we hold tightly to this world is not to the things that are dying, not to the things that are vain, that are temporal. We hold tightly to the thing that is eternal. We hold tightly to the living one. We hold tight to Jesus. That's how we live life. Hold tight to Jesus, everything else, with an open hand, whether it comes or goes. The only thing certain under the sun is death. So how are you going to live in that certainty? This, the timing of our death is uncertain. The certainty is that we will not know the timing of our death. It is uncertain. Ecclesiastes 9, 11 through 12. Again, I say that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, right? Those that win are not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor the riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. It sounds all good for me right now, right? But time and chance happen to them all. Now, now, chance is not really a great, it's not really like a flip of a coin. It's not really a great interpretation. But it really a better, but time and happenings happen to them all. Things happen, and it seems like chance, but it's not chance because we know God is in control of all things. The point is we don't know. We don't know, and we don't control the events that happen to us. And it goes on to verse 12. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So, we're, I mean, the description, right, the metaphor I think is most helpful is we're fishing the sea, and the next thing you know, we're caught by this net and pulled up. We don't even see the net. All we know is that we've been surrounded by this net, and the next thing you know, it's pulling us up out of the sea. 
and we're going to die. We don't control the events or happenings around us. We don't control the timing of our death. We don't control our life. Dreams and aspirations in this world are not bad things. I'm not telling you not to dream and not to have aspirations. But there is not a one-to-one -one correlation on how do you achieve your dreams or aspirations. All right, this is, there's not this, this way. You do this in life, and this will happen to you. What works for another might not work for one. Circumstances arise. Unforeseen events occur. Unexpected life events happen. Right? Have you noticed your dreams change, too? Right? As, as, as children, right, we have fantastic dreams. Right? All my kids have dreamed of being professional athletes at some days, right? I have talked to them a little bit about what it might take to be a professional athlete, even though there's not a one-to-one -one correlation to that. But as you grow older, maybe you became a teenager, you had a different profession, right? As a child, I had a dream and aspiration of being Santa Claus. I'm not going to tell you why that dream failed or why it can't work out, but it just did, right? I then, I then I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be the Pope, right? I still kind of hope, hope, holding out hope on this one, right? You know the only qualification to be Pope is you just got to be in the room when they decide who the Pope is. You just got, I mean, you don't have to be Catholic, you don't have to be a cardinal or a bishop. You just got to be in the room. That's the one qualification. So, any of you got a contact in the Vatican when this next Pope dies? Yeah, sneak me in. I think I got a chance. So I had dreams and aspirations, right? Or maybe as you grow older, you, you want to be, uh, be married. You want a husband or wife. Or, man, I want kids. Or, man, now that I have kids, I want that minivan. Yes. <laughs> right? right? The dreams and aspirations, too. Or I want to I grow old together with my spouse. Or I want to travel the world. Your dreams and aspirations change. But here's the thing. You don't control any of that. They may happen. I'm not saying don't have those dreams. Have those dreams. Live it out. But you don't control it. They're all gifts from God. That's the simple point in which Psalm is saying is maybe these things happen. Maybe they don't. But here's the truth. Life is uncertain. Death is certain. So why would you spend all of your time worrying about your dreams and aspirations and not thinking about what is certain, and then plan your life around that. Even though you don't know when, but you do know that you will die. In this world, under the sun, don't put your hope or faith in your dreams or in the uncertain things in life. Put your hope and dreams in the one who holds all things in his hands, who is the certain one. Verse 12, right? Man does not know his time. It, this, is, this is the same kind of concept that James is talking about. James 4, 13 through 15. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, right? All these dreams that we have, this is what we'll do. Yet you do not know that what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I mean, right, that's, that's that word vanity throughout Ecclesiastes. You are a mist. You are 
are a temporal thing, and you don't know if tomorrow is promised. Instead, what you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So James and, and, and Solomon are not saying, they're not saying don't plan. They're not saying don't think about your future. What they're saying is don't hold tightly to that because it is uncertain. Don't, don't, don't be anxious about that because it is uncertain. Know what you do have. You have today. Or more specifically, you have this moment. And understand the one who controls it all. If the Lord wills, I'll live out these dreams. If not, I'll live today. And if God gives me, I'll live tomorrow. We know for certain that we will die. It is uncertain when we will die. Life happens and we don't control it. So how are we to live in the certainties and the uncertainties of life? Right? The two facts that Solomon is saying is death is certain. The timing of your death is uncertain. And how are we to live knowing that our death is certain? Our death is inevitable. How do we know that the timing of our death is unknowable? The answer is quite simple. I hope you understand it clearly from Ecclesiastes. This is what he's saying. Enjoy today. This is the command of God. Enjoy. Rejoice today. Today is a gift. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10. Here's what he says. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let, your not, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun whatever your hand finds to do do it with all your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol which is the place of death to which you're going go here is an active word the, 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 in the idea of you enjoy today is not be passive it's not just sit back. Well, life happens. That's not what the point is. The point is enjoy. Be active. Plan. Plan today, the rest of the day, to enjoy the gifts that God has given you today. Be married. All right, the portion. Go enjoy the things that God has provided you. It is okay to plan and dream about tomorrow. But don't count those chickens until they hatch. As Marshall Lynch would say, enjoy your chickens today. Enjoy what you have today. It's okay to plan for tomorrow, but don't just don't count them yet. God takes pleasure in our enjoying the pleasures that he gives us. God has great pleasure when we enjoy the pleasures and the gifts that he gives us every day. This makes God happy. This is not a license to do whatever we want. That's not what it's saying. That's not saying, hey, God has given you all the things in this world. That means they're all here to enjoy. Go ahead and go smoke that pot. That's not what it's saying. That's not just saying do whatever you want. God gives gifts and certain things to be enjoyed in the way they're meant to be enjoyed. The way they're designed to be enjoyed. 
and we're to enjoy those gifts in a way they're designed and meant to be enjoyed. This, that's understanding this philosophy of receive the gifts of God and receive the day. Enjoy it. It, it. That idea of when you live life that way, it destroys the idea that you are God. It destroys the idea that you are sovereign and it puts an improper perspective of who is the sovereign one and who is the giver of all good gifts. In verse 8, he goes even further. It says, right, let your garments not be, let your garments be white. What he's saying is, don't, a lot of people were in the morning in that time, or uh, sackcloth and ashes, right? And so in the midst of death, they would just be, they'd be dirty and be symbolized that they're in mourning, right? I'm, it's okay to mourn, by the way, right? But it, it, you need to enjoy the gifts of the day. And what he's saying, like, no, be like you're at a wedding party and celebrate and enjoy the gift of the day. Enjoy the relationships God has given you today. And oil on your head is meant to be symbolized of, of joy and happiness. So, so live today. Because today is what you have. Even though we are people to be reflected on the certainty of death, uh, we are not to mourn or to be depressed by death. But live life today that God has given us. And verse 9, it says, enjoy the wife whom you love all the days as God has given you. It doesn't say live with your wife. Or we can right, live with your spouse. It doesn't say put up with your spouse. It doesn't say tolerate your spouse. And maybe you don't have a spouse. Maybe you just have relationships, which we all do. We're all in relationship. It doesn't say just live with those people. It doesn't just say tolerate people. It says love. Love them. Enjoy them. Enjoy your spouse today. Enjoy your children today. Enjoy your relationships today. Enjoy the people that are, are your inheritance today, the church. Don't just tolerate them. Don't just live life by walking through it. Enjoy it. I've been reading a book uh, on Ephesians uh, 5. And you know that Ephesians 5 is the passage where it says, Husbands, love your wives, and wives be uh, submissive to your, uh, your husbands. And like that is the symbol of right, Christ as head of the church. But here's, here's the point, what it really, the profound thing it said. It says, My love for my wife should excite her to love me. It, it's not the other way around. Because it puts it in the paradigm because it says, the, 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 Jesus is the head of the church, right? And Jesus' love is the Father is excited by the Father's foundational love for the Son. And so Jesus responds and is excited by that, eternally excited by this eternal love that the Father has. Our love should reflect that to all people. People should be excited to love us back by the way we love them. It shouldn't be, well, I'm going to wait and see how you act and behave and treat me, and then I'll decide the level of my love for you. Because that's really how we treat people. Right? We put them in different classes, and this is the love in which you'll get from me. Our love should excite people to love. Our, our love for God. Our love for God should actually excite people to love God. Because of the way we love them. 
Because the only way our, our, our love for God is demonstrated is through our love through other people. And that should excite people to love God. That's a really way to enjoy your relationships today. Enjoy the gifts that God has given you today. And understanding the day is a gift. This moment is a gift. Everything is a gift. When we give a gift at Christmas time, the, 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 the joy in our gift giving is when they enjoy that gift. It's not just when they open it up. It's when they use it. You see them usually playing with it. Or, or you know, it's, that's the joy we get when we see someone else's joy in the gift we give them. Now, God doesn't need our enjoyment. God is fully satisfied. But he finds joy when we are gracious enough to enjoy the things that he's given us today. Will you enjoy the life God has given you today, no matter the circumstances? Will you enjoy the relationship that God has given you and that God has put you in today? And if you're given tomorrow, will you enjoy them tomorrow? How are we to live knowing that death is certain, but the timing of our death is uncertain? The answer is quite simple. Enjoy today. Enjoy the moment right now. Don't hold tight. Don't hold tight to those gifts of today. Don't hold tight to the gifts that are given today or the provisions that are given today because they're vanity. They're temporal. Hold them with open hands. Enjoy them. Give thanks to God, but hold them with open hands because he's a God that gives and takes away. Blessed be his name. We hold tight to the one who is certain, who holds all things in his hands. We have faith in the promises of life after the Son. And here is some of the promises after the Son that he gives us. Isaiah 25, 6-8. On the mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, of a feast of well-aged wine, of rich full food full of marrow, of aged well wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away all the tears from our faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. You love how that's past tense? This is for sure that the certainty of things that you will die one day that will be taken away and life will abound forever. And there will be no worrying about tomorrow. Because in eternity there is no tomorrow. There just is. And God is one way to say, just live like you're in eternity right now. Enjoy this moment. All the vain gifts of God, every gift, even today, that are temporal, are meant to be enjoyed. They are not meant for us to cling to, and they are actually designed to make us homesick for the true gift of himself, the true gift of eternity, the true gift of all the pleasures that are filled that are being with him, life with him 
after the Son. In the meantime, let us be a people that let death preach to us, knowing that death is certain, that when our death is, is uncertain, we enjoy the gifts of today. We enjoy the grace of today. For his grace today is sufficient for today. God is sufficient for us. And he is the true gift day in and day out. Will you enjoy him? Will you enjoy his gifts?